Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And welcome to episode 92, Two Teachers Talking. And Charles and I get together to talk about teaching and all the problems <laughs> we encounter <laughs> trying to teach. Um, and uh, today, to that point, we're going to be talking about uh, those times when you walk into your class and nothing goes right. <laughs> and it's happened to all of us. And it's happening now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Tony, we were talking about this, and uh, it's um, we're not. We remember we started talking about it, and we kind of spiral and start spiraling downwards and downwards into like how how bad this is, how bad this is, how bad this could get, and then we really caught ourselves and said, "Wait a second, you can't do this." So, I think it's important to mention that what we're not talking about are like specific students or one student. We're talking about that class, and there's that the two ways. One is the class you walk in on the first day, and you start talking, and like within like about a minute or two, you kind of go, uh oh, uh oh. And the other one is when you have a class, and then things just aren't working. I think there's two distinct things there. What do and, you think? And 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 maybe and maybe more. Um, oh no, there's more, more to this. Two. <laughs> maybe more than two possibilities and uh, i think the hard part is that um even if you don't have a lot of experience you can generally sense that things are not going well um and uh, the longer you've been teaching and and i guess maybe the more perceptive you are uh you can maybe start to speculate about what might be happening and and so forth but there's there's a lot of things that can happen so yeah as you said not a student but sometimes it is um it's one we talked about this in a previous podcast where how many of these bad apples does it take to ruin a classroom um it could be one person or two people or a small group that uh somehow uh having uh this effect on the the group dynamic of the of the entire class um it could be something like what class or what teacher they had in the previous period, right? So if all or a significant portion of the kids are coming from like a real awful class, they're bringing that awfulness right into the classroom with them. Um, what what teachers and what classes they had in the previous semester, right? What kinds of, you know, behaviors were tolerated or even, you know, encouraged uh, that um, are anathema to you this semester? Um, there's the... School, the, the very school culture, and it's something that I run into um, a lot because um, I teach at very different kinds of schools. And we talked about that in episodes was... 51 and 52. Um, and, it, you know, you're the same teacher. You're going to different places, and in some places it's just like a warm knife through butter, and other times it's just like a bucket of gravel. <laughs> it just doesn't come together. You mean um, it's like warm butter and gravel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. It reminds me of a just a quick segue of a. There was this discussion going on between a couple of teachers in a the other day, and well, not the other day. I think it's like last year or two years ago, and this was kind of the topic of you know what do you do when you know. You just, you know, the dynamic of the class isn't very good. And this other teacher said, you know, I never have these problems. I don't understand what you guys are doing and why you have these problems. And we were like, oh, really? You don't have any problems? And the teacher talked about how, 
never has any problems with, you know, with a bad class. He never perceives anything going wrong. And then finally, after a while, we realized this person was teaching a lecture class. And it had, of course, there's really no atmosphere. There's no effect. What we're talking about are these very interactive, student-centered kind of, you know, what should be <laughs> the way the class is supposed to be exactly what should so, be an interactive class right 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 so you can understand how we were feeling <laughs> sure right sure. you're listening to this teacher and this, this teacher says i've never had these problems and it's like wait a second and then as the discussion went on and you realize oh oh you're just sitting up in front of the class talking so this of course it wouldn't matter That's what true. kind of class you had Right? It would the dynamic of the class would matter because you don't even know that there's a dynamic to the class. So, what we're I just want to specify that what we're talking about are classes that the teacher has an expectation that students will be engaged and interacting with each other, right? Either in pairs or groups and actively, you know, exploring the subject and using, let's say, especially for language classes, using the language. These we're not talking about a total like you know sit down and listen to the teacher talk and just take notes. Hmm. Okay, so I'm just I have this image of warm butter and gravel for some reason <laughs> and a knife. Go with the knife. There's a warm knife. Think about butter. the knife and the gravel. Okay. So, where do we go from here? How should we begin this discussion? Well, uh, let me give you an example of like maybe a, like a, a worst-case scenario, both both from the from the class perspective and the teacher <laughs> perspective. Um and uh, this is something that um, I found myself doing or having to do, and it was uh, somewhat effective. But it's a, it's such an extreme thing that it's not something I recommend. Um, and I think it, I think to start off with that, because let's find a better way to do this. Um, but I'm also lucky that I don't have this kind of class anymore. This goes way, way back, and it was uh, not a university. These were primarily Simongaco classes, but <clears throat> university classes too. Uh, um, you know, some universities admit students who really have no business being in a university classroom, not mentioning any names. But um, what I, you know, again, long time, like 20, 25 years ago, uh, kind of myself just decided that this was... Um, one thing that I could do, um, you know, since, you know, you're in, in class, the beginning, beginning of the semester, usually first class or second class, and you just know this, this, this dynamic, it, it's, something ain't right. <laughs> something ain't right here. These kids are not responding, and, and, and I've got to do something. And so what, what I did, and this might have been something that I maybe picked up from the, the dojo. I'm not sure. But uh, my strategy was to, and again, in Japan, group-oriented uh, group society, stereotype, blah, 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 but nevertheless, um, ID the alpha dog. Watch them. Uh, look and see who's the first one to act out a bit. Watch the class's reaction to different people. And you ID the alpha dog, and you wait for it. And you wait for him or her to cross, you know, your imaginary line. And you take the alpha dog out into the hall. And uh, doesn't matter what you say. You just raise your voice loud enough so the people in the class can hear your voice and hear the anger. And then you go back into the classroom, let the kid come back in. 
and the, the dynamic of the class has changed. It says, um, it's not optimal, it's not the way you want to approach it, but at least now everybody in class understands who's the boss. So, oh, yeah. So that's, I mean, again, it, it worked for me in, in, in that particular environment, but uh there's better ways to do that let's so let's let's find some better ways to handle that um not take them out of the class just scold them in front of everybody <laughs> well that can backfire i think because um if you do it if you come off too strong too heavy um you know again this culture of shame here you you might not ever get it back they mm. might resent your I think taking him, taking him or her out of the classroom is this quasi-face-saving measure. And as long as they can hear your voice in the classroom, then the effect is there. But for him or her who's out in the hall, they still feel it, but they're not. it's not happening in front of the others. So I think it was a little bit gentler way to do it. Because if you do it in the classroom, then it might be too much. Yeah, you know, I... Though sometimes maybe that's what it need, maybe that's what's required in some some classes. Again, I haven't had any of those okay. for a really long time, and I'm really happy. But I understand that need as well. It's funny because I did have this happen earlier this year, mm. something like that. But it wasn't an alpha dog um, at all. It was um, I have my students count off, put them into groups. So I had my students counting off. I think by twelves or something. It's about thirty-five students in the class or thirty-six students in the class. <clears throat> And I was trying to make sure their pronunciation was good because the counting off is a good chance to work on pronunciation, especially TH sounds and um, sure. F and B sounds. And this one student who just would always look at her phone and, you know, ask her to put her phone away and she would constantly do it and just a negative attitude. And she said, three. And I said, okay, do three, TH. And she rolled her eyes at me and went, <gasps> <laughs> and I did not bother to take her out of the classroom. I just immediately just stopped and said, no, you cannot do that. And um, there's some negatives to that. And it just kind of came out of me. But what was really interesting is that since that day, that student has been very appropriate doing the group work. Well, not laugh at any of my jokes or smile at me or anything, but... Um, you know, at least they're better. But yeah, I don't think there's really an ideal thing. And usually we don't have those kind of students. Those are really rare things. I think what we're really sure. talking about, though, is when you're getting the class and for some reason that the dynamic of the class doesn't right. work. So right. why don't you give us an example of one of those? <clears throat> well, I think I think you just described it. <laughs> I mean, they're all they're all unique. It all, they all kind of collapse in their own individual ways. But, you know, you're setting up an activity or the, the next step in something and you get to the handoff point and you know you're, you're handing a ball to somebody and someone and the ball just drops and no one sticks out their hand it's like uh then that can manifest itself in any number of ways but it's but it's what you just described and no matter how much energy you seem to throw at it it just no one no one no one makes that effort to <laughs> reach out and take the ball, right? Right. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's the that's the thing, 
Um, it happens in all different kinds of ways. But I think it may be things about things that we can do preventative measures, right? Even before the class, right? Um, and then what to do when you have the first sign of trouble and then maybe, you know, outside of class, after the class, you know, reflective and what you do and, and things like that. But um, in terms of uh, preventative measures, right? Things that you can do um, before before the trouble starts. Um, that's some ideas that I had. Uh, and I and I try to implement, especially if I suspect, um, like for example, at one school that um, the kids can be unresponsive um, and really suck a lot of energy from me <laughs> with their lack of responsiveness um, uh, for your class, be early. Be there before the students get there. You are establishing dominance of the space. They walk in. You're at the you're at the front of the room. It's your classroom. You walk in there ten minutes late. They've already chosen their leader, and it ain't you. You mean on the first day? First day. And I, I'm I'm generally early. I get to my classes before the class begins. Generally, almost all the time, it's my place. You know, I I share that with them. I give them lots of autonomy, but it's but it's mine to share. And um, again, you, you come in late, they, they, they're already processing stuff in your absence. That, that vacuum has been filled with other stuff. When you're there first, you're the boss. Okay. It's your space. Um, stupid, silly thing? Smile. <laughs> um, it's such an important thing here in Japan. And it took me... I'm not, not, a, not a quick study here. It took me a real long time to figure that out. Smiling is a real big thing. It really puts the students at ease. They really like it. And from a, a more practical perspective, it gives you something to take away when things are do not meet your approval. You start off with a skull, you've got nowhere to go. You start off with a smile, you got something to withhold. You got plenty of room to go down. Yeah, right. You you got a little little more little more bargaining leverage there, um, and it was something that I do with um, both. Yeah, I get the smile, body language, and my my first day spiel and stuff is to really carefully avoid polarizing the situation. Try not to do anything that's going to make it me versus them try to somehow again and it might not be all of them and you might have to exclude the bad apples but with the the bulk of the class try to persuade them that everybody here is on one side and everybody here has got a common goal okay and i point out that you know if you're not here for that you maybe you're in the wrong place you know i'm gonna disagree with you slightly because sure. i walk into class every class with a big smile on my face and a good morning, how are you? And I have the classes where you get absolutely nothing back. I'm not really sure how much that has an effect. I mean, coming into a classroom scowling, you know, is diff is another thing. And the other thing I'm going to suggest is I think these students, a lot of them are really caught up in images and stereotypes. 
and they will, you know, say, oh, this professor's kawaii, this professor's scary. And then you start asking them why, and they really have no reason for that. It's just, you know, the way this person looks. So even though I smile a lot, I have students thinking I'm kawaii just simply because either I'm a foreigner or I'm extroverted and happy. So I don't know if I completely agree with you on that, hmm. but it can't hurt. It doesn't hurt walking and smiling. I just don't know to what degree it's actually helping. Yeah, well, I don't think it's, it's I don't think it's a, a silver bullet. I didn't take it as that. Yeah. I just don't know. <laughs> if it was a silver bullet, I would just, you know, I'd paint a smile on my face and just walk in that way. But I'm just saying I'm not really sure. I'm sure that I'm no I know I, I agree with you that way it's 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 not always going to work and there's there's some classes or some situations where it may be as you say it has zero effect cuz I'm I I'm doing all these things myself and they're not working 100% of the time so I know that there, I know that there's times that they don't work but yeah compared to the times when I haven't done it in the past I'm I'm just getting more more instances of success now and so I'm offering those things out. But yeah, there's sometimes that that doesn't work either. Yeah. So what are some of the signals you get that you kind of know something is not exactly right with the class? What are some of the things you can perceive you, you know, that tells you hmm, something's going on here? Can't give you a number, but I guess maybe the one of the first tells us you just see a, a percentage of student eyes that are not engaged, right? They're somewhere else, whether it's whether they're dr drifting off to sleep, whether they're talking with each other, whether they're on their phones. Um, and I, I, again, my classes, I have no rules. Um, so if I said, you know, this is your class, if you want to be on your phone, I don't care. Um, if that's more important, that's fine. And then you got, you got to leave the room to answer your phone and go do it. I don't care. It's your class. It's not mine. Um, but if I look at the, the numbers, right. And if I guess, <clears throat> I'm going to call it, talk about a class of 30. If there's more than, if I'm losing the fourth one. So I guess my maybe my magic number is ten percent. If I see that I'm losing the fourth one, that's my that's my flag. It's like okay, something ain't right. Something's not right. Um, and so yeah, what 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 then? What do you what does a person do, uh, teacher? Um, this is one of the things that uh, uh, one of the cases or reasons for always you have like a handful not one and not two but at least a few some kind of alternate plans for exactly when this happens so like you're going to change you're going to change tax um you either break them up into groups and do something else or you rearrange groups that you've already established um you shift gears entirely to a different type of exercise uh you do anything you can to disrupt that slide down Okay, so give me an example of something you would do. Well, I just like I just said, I've been talking, looking at a class, and there are like a couple of kids are off, and say, okay, uh, I'm going to split you guys up into groups, and we're going to do X, Y, or Z, or okay, so. or you say, okay, now I've got um, there's this video I want to share with you guys. Here, let, let's take a look at this. Um, okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking uh, with the people around you. 
um, get together. I want each group, form your own groups, and I want each group to come up with an idea about X, Y, or Z. Just, just immediately just change tack. Right. Right away with something. Put out a video, play a game, change an activity, ask them to come up with something. Which is, yeah, which is something that we should be doing anyway every 15 or 20 minutes at least, right? You, should, you, just, you can't keep going with the same thing. You've got to keep things moving. You've got to change things up because uh, it's just human nature, right? Even if with a good class. Hmm. Okay. But have you ever been in a situation with a class where you do change things up and nothing seems to work? Um, it's hard to tell because... If you do that effectively, you change things. The, the whole the whole dynamic changes, and it may or it may not work, and it may not work for different, but for different reasons. Um, and yeah, and then you you wait, and if that falls flat, then you change it up again. Um, uh, you, while while doing this, you might be able to ID individual students who are the troublemakers, and contrary to what I said before about cracking down on them to do the opposite reach out and try to engage a lot of times it's because it, there's nothing else going on except they're bored i've got there's a kid in one of my classes uh this semester and you know i'm, I'm watching him and yeah he's you know he's not there he's always kind of like doing something else or he's looking somewhere else um they were doing something in a textbook, the exercise, you know, it was like five minutes. And, you know, okay, we're going to do it together afterwards. It's a reading, writing class. And, uh, you know, I'm walking around the room and uh, uh, look at, you know, look at the stuff. And it's like, oh, he's he's already finished. And I says, this is too easy for you? And he goes, yeah. He says, oh, okay. And so I just started talking to him. Stupid, simple. But here you look like the kid doesn't doesn't care about anything. He's just bored. He's just bored. Um, I think it might be like like for example, this case where this kid who's like you know everyone else is on task and he's drifting off. Um, contrary to my again, I talked about that thing I did with the alpha dog primitive and and using anger and so forth and so on. Um, anger is. Expressing anger is fine as long as it's controlled. Mm -hmm. It's really important to control your emotions. You know, if you're gonna you're gonna act out and put on a performance that you're angry, that that's good, that's fine. Um, but do it with control. Don't do it out of desperation. Do it from a position of strength, of control. Um, maintain your perspective. And another reminder to 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 me, myself, and everybody else. Not every class needs to be your best class. Um, sometimes you just, sometimes, yeah, you just got to get by. You just got to get through the 90 minutes. You don't, not every class is going to be this, you know, the bell is going to ring at the end and you're going to sit back in your chair with your hands behind you and says, damn, I'm good. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen 16, seven times a week. Some, <laughs> some of them are just going to be some so-so and some of them are not going to be so good. You're going to fail. And, and you kind of have to accept that, I think. Um, with a lot of problem classes, I think it's sometimes helpful to kind of pretend that it's, especially at some schools, pretend that it's high school and not university, because for you know reasons, um, a lot of the kids in our university classes are not 
mature in the way that we would expect from our own cultures, university students to be good and bad, right? Because they're still plastic and they're malleable and you can do all kinds of wonderful work with the right conditions and situations. Um, but if you remember that when things not only are good, but then when things are bad, you know, think of it as high school. And um, that might involve a longer leash or a, a shorter leash, right? Um, I don't know. And, uh, you know, last resort, you know, I, I think it was like, here, you pull out a video, uh, take out a piece of paper, <laughs> take out a piece of paper. Uh, you got 15 minutes. I want you to write X, Y, Z. And okay, then that's desperation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's but, when, that's when you have no other option. That's, that's right. But that's, but, but we find ourselves know. there, right? We find ourselves there. But that's where um, I know that every teacher has reached their limit is when they say, yeah, you know, I had my students take out a piece of paper and start writing. And I said, ah, one of those classes. And they always go, yeah. Yeah. It's when it's like, as, and this is an interesting thing. It's just an observation in the way that we've actually either, I don't want to say turned it into, but actually use writing as a penalty. And I wonder what the long-term effect of that really is. Well, I think um, it's just an interest. It's just an it's a, it's thing. very interesting. And I think it's that's something that our students have taught us to do. Because Listen, I think that's a good they point know to they know they know what to do. They, when you say take out a paper, it's like bam, they just do it. <laughs> they know what they're supposed to do, and it changes. And it's like, it, yes, you feel, and I when when I've done that, I realize I've just failed. But hmm. damn it, it works. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it's it's infuriating, right? It's a double fail. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, and I, it's just interesting that again, as I say, that writing becomes the penalty, and almost every teacher I know is, that's I've talked to teachers who just say, "Yeah, you know, if the students you know do this, I just say, look, we could either do this or you can write." You know, they use it so that yeah. writing becomes a penalty for their misbehaviors. And it's, but I think everybody does it. Mm. You have to. It's, it's, it's especially difficult given the way we teach our classes or run our classes might be a more effective term. Uh, it's, since it's interactive and the students need to be engaged for us to accomplish the learning goals, what we set out to do for the class. And by the way, I really do like what you said that you can't expect every class to be a perfect class. Right. It might be interesting to figure out what is, how many of my classes need to be really good classes for me to feel good about myself as an educator. Well, as a uh, hitter, if you're, if you're hitting 350, you're, you're a rock star. You know, I would think that if one third <laughs> of my classes were making me feel good, I would feel really, really good. <laughs> so you can do that. What other things do you think you can do? When you get to that point, though, with the class, and again, this is a strategy you're using, not because it's, we're talking about a difficult kid or something. You're talking about this, the class, it's just not going for some reason. And it's like, OK, so now everybody start writing. I just, you, so that's something you do after you've shown the video, you've done the activity, you've broken up the groups. It's a last resort, as you said, right? Mm. Yeah. So something that I haven't tried, even though I told myself I was going to do it this year, I haven't done it. Um, brain breaks. And You're something gonna... that you do not even preemptively, not even 
as a as a response to you know the, these signs of trouble but just stopping the stopping the lesson you know plan maybe at a planned break we said okay five minutes we're gonna take a break five minutes you can do everything you want you can go take a walk you can put your head down take a nap whatever you like five minutes well we're gonna you know taking a five minute break and we'll resume in in five minutes I think most kids would be so freaked out <laughs> that when you when you came back, it would be a different class, right? Maybe I don't know. I, I haven't done do it. That. I used to do that. Yeah, did it and work? It's exactly. Well, they freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it makes complete sense, right? Think about it. You're in the a ninety minute meeting is just <laughs> it's <internal>. brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. And these students are yeah. going through six or four 90-minute meetings a day. Yeah. And we don't know what happens in their other classes. We don't know what's gone on. So, yeah, I try to uh, – usually every one of my classes has um, a group shift uh, where mm -hmm. I break the groups up and move sure. them into new groups minimally every 15 minutes. So the student – and there's at least, you know, four or five – five tasks and the same task could repeat but they're working with different groups and things are being tweaked a little bit so that keeps them moving a little bit more but you know it's what you said you don't know what happened in the class they had before right and another thing that i'm kind of moving away but kind of coming back to that thing about not knowing what what was the class in the period before we don't know what happened with their other language classes in the semester before, for example. Right. I, yep. Um, you know, and a lot of this, I think, for example, the idea when your students just start speaking Japanese and you want them to be using English, it might be that you're one of the first teachers who's ever insisted on that. They could have had other teachers who allowed them to speak Japanese. And there seems to be recent research indicating that it's not a problem if students want to use a language to try to solve problems and communicate with each other and explain with each other. But I'm talking about the fact where students just start speaking Japanese to each other when they should be working with the language. You just don't know if this is one of the few times where it's being required, where the teacher expects students not to shift. And so you have differing expectations that have to be met. And so that sometimes can be a real cause of friction for me and frustration, I think, for the students and for myself. But I don't even know where I'm going with this right now. Um, but I have had situations where I've moved them into different groups and they still continue to speak Japanese. You know, a, a whole class that just these students, because I think it's pretty much because their level is not as high as, let's say, other classes, and therefore they don't have a lot of experience with output and continuous output. So let's say they don't have very much stamina, for lack of a better word. They'll default back to Japanese, but it can be very frustrating. Sure, and, so and like for specifically for those kind of students, the key is like really short activities. Exactly. They can do it for a little while, but they'll, 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 they'll fall back. So before they fall back, switch it up. Right. So what I've learned over time is this, if I see that happening, like after the second round, uh, the students are falling 
as you said, falling back into Japanese, I'll do a quick simplification of the activity and I'll cut it in half so that instead of it being 10 minutes of group work, it becomes five minutes. If it's there five minutes of group yep. work, it becomes two and a half minutes and simplify the activity and just run them through groups and repeat the activity until, you know, they might be bored with repeating the activity, but at least they're getting practice at staying in English and they're not getting the chance to go into Japanese. So you're getting a little, as you said, they're pliable. Right. And then, and they're achieving that. And, you know, they, as you said, even though they, some, especially the, 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 the more able ones would be getting bored. Um, yeah, you notice the, you actually see, can see, cause there's such small bites, small bits. You can actually see the improvement from the beginning to the end. Right. They're, they're actually learning. Yeah. And they're learning also just to stay in English. And so that's the idea. I used to take classes when long time ago and, especially with Monday classes. This was a, how was your weekend or Friday classes? What will you do this weekend? And the students would start off with, how was your weekend? Fine, I did this. And they'd be done in a minute or two. And I just mm. kept repeating this and repeating this over. This is when we get those one-year classes, for <clears throat> example. And back when classes were only 12 times. But at the end of the year, the students would just go into their groups, automatically start talking about their weekends, and an hour later, they were still talking. Cool. Because it's just simply a matter of practice and stamina for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's ever been in a foreign culture and has had to try to really listen hard, you know, carefully for like an hour to what's going on and make sure you're following all the social rules and all the communication rules, you are exhausted after an hour. Sure. And you need practice developing that, you know, stamina. It is a marathon. It's not a sprint. But if you create lots of sprints, then the students will develop more stamina over time. But that's the, the simplest solution I know for any class that's not working is to turn everything into like two-minute sprint things. Yeah. Sprint activities. I mean, down to really short before anyone's attention span can fail. Change the groups as much as possible. Change them around as often. Mix different people up. And make sure that there's some way to monitor what they're doing so that they feel you know, that there's some kind of self-monitoring by them so they feel like there's even a small gain is noticeable to them. Those are some of the things I think that might work in that situation. So similar to what you're doing to what you're talking about right exactly and, and you're what you just said is like to, to be able to break up each activity have it have it have it um and you know let's before anyone writes in it's like yeah yeah it's a whole lot it's a whole lot more work and it's a whole lot more exhausting for the teacher because you're changing things every two minutes and every four minutes and it yeah it means it's double your work and you've got to pay attention you can't just put them on task and then like kick back for 10 or 15 minutes no you're going to have to engage at a much higher level and it, it does take a toll it's going to it's going to sap your energy but yeah. the alternative is going to sap your energy too well i'd rather be tired from the monitoring than <clears throat> right that sapping of energy that sapping of energy right. which you've talked about any anyone who's ever been a teacher knows that's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world yeah yeah. I mean, I really rank it as, if somebody said, what's the worst part of teaching? It's that feeling of going into a classroom and coming out and feeling, I accomplished nothing. This, you know, the students didn't care. 
and oh, it's just terrible that way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Walking, you know, ending ending a bad class is you're absolutely right. One of the worst feelings in the world. <laughs> when a bad class is over, it's like oh, you just yeah, you feel like you know throwing a towel. Right? It's like I I I can't do this. <laughs> and the other thing I just want to mention before we move off of you know this kind of activity, what we talked about uh, traditionally, um, I remember learned about the three two one activity. Or it can be a five, three, two, or what. It's basically, um, I, I learned it about this from Paul Nation, that you have students talk for three minutes, let's say, about their weekend. And then you have them talk for two minutes about their weekend. And then you have them talk one minute for the weekend. So they're reducing things down to the essentials. A lot of times I try to do the opposite. I would say with our students, the opposite is where right. you want, maybe you want so, to go. <laughs> so let's, here, let's take a simple thing. You want the students to talk about their weekend. Right. And not say fine. You want to say, what did you do Friday evening? What did you do Saturday, Sunday? Start it off with, what did you do Friday evening? And then they do that. And then you say, okay, now, listener, ask one question about the Friday evening after the person finishes. So they do that. Then you say, okay, let's change it again. Nick, this time the listener has to ask two questions. Okay, fine. Now you put it into another round. Now talk about your Friday, Saturday evenings. Listener, one question. Listener, two. After six or seven times, they're talking about their weekends and the listeners are asking, you know, at this point in time, maybe three, four, five questions and you're getting real conversations. I was going to, I was going to suggest something almost exactly what you just said. And I just want to add another um, layer of a possibility on this. Um, Modeling. Yes. So you, you somehow select one or two kids from the class and exactly what you just described but before you have them do it you model it with that especially in terms of like the follow-up questions and the depth exploration into each of those you know, time slots and things um modeling it so that they have because because that's a really big thing with a lot of these things that like from the very beginning is like they're not really sure what it is that you want them to do um we i think um often just kind of assume that they understand what we want them to do or what they're supposed to do. or And a lot of times they don't. A lot of times it'll seem to manifest as some other kind of problem, like speaking in Japanese. But a lot of times it's because, you know, they would, they would do what they, what you want them to do if they could just figure out what it is that you wanted. And modeling is really, really important. It really is. I kind of do it myself. I mimic, you know, both people talking because uh, I realize sometimes that students are really embarrassed to be doing that with me. Mm-hmm. So I don't do that. The other thing I think it's really important is make sure you put stuff on the board, like, you know, all the WH words they could use for their open-ended there you questions. Go. Good. And, you know, put up closed-ended questions and then show that you follow it with an open-ended question. So they have some visual cues as well. But the other thing I want to add, and it's what you said about modeling, is that assumptions we make that they know what we know or they feel the way we feel. And this was really made clear to me, Tony, I think about six months ago, when some student was just coughing away next to another student (laughs) right and i was like really upset cover your mouth cover your mouth finally and i looked at the students in the you know that were around the student i said god why don't you tell him that you know you shouldn't 
he should cover his mouth. And they said, well, we don't care. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so imagine imagine the uh, range of emotions just cursing through my veins at this point. <laughs> First is just the incredible anger at, do you have any idea how foolish your value system is at this point in time? <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that we assume that when they get together with their friends that they say, hey, how was your weekend? How are you doing? We don't know that they do that. We don't know how they actually engage with their friends, interact with their friends. So if you want a certain behavior, if you want them to engage in a certain pattern of communication, don't assume that they know it. Model it, give them the pattern, and then break it up into little bits of units that are repeated, and then have it cumulatively, cumulatively achieve what you want. And do not, do not downplay the importance and value of constant repetition even though it might be boring, to get them to a point where it's automatic and basically they can do it without even thinking is an important thing, especially when it comes to continuing conversations. So when I get into a situation with those classes and if I find myself that frustration rising up, uh-oh, it's one of these things, what should I do? Okay, let me break down the activity. Let me simplify it, and we're just going to repeat it, repeat it until you get better and expand it and move you into different groups is one thing. And the other thing to do is to have them report what they heard from their partner before. And this turns the listening into more of an actual active listening experience. So if they're in their groups and they have to say, okay, Ask your partner what they did on Friday, how their Friday evening was. When they go to the next group, the first question becomes, how was your partner's weekend? What did your partner do? So they're forced to listen and then be able to repeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is that I, I constantly have, remind myself of, and I see this all the time, is that if you want students to learn anything, you're going to have to repeat it an incredible number of times. So just teaching, I think I've mentioned this before, just teaching my students to say like, thank you, nice talking with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At the end of every you know pair or group work pretty much takes something like 10 or 15 times hmm. before they start remembering to do it without my having to prompt them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, I think, one solution to the problem when things aren't working right. Yeah, and uh, talking about, you just reminded me of something that I forgot that I did do or did. Um, when you're like, for example, like, whether it's in the whole class or whether you're in groups, in either of those cases, things aren't working, then you switch it to pairs. And this kind of combines with something uh, that um, else that I was thinking about is that a lot of times... Um, we have to let the students teach us how they learn or yes. what they can do. And so just to, to feed off your, your repetition thing, so if the class is small enough, um, when, I, when the kids are just like, ah, they're, 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 they're flagging, they're, not, they're just not up. To, okay, everybody stand up, two lines, they have pairs, and they have like memorized... <clears throat> Short dialogue from the from the textbook with the uh, you know information substitution, and so you line up. Okay, go. 
you know, you side decide A side, B side, okay, you think, okay, switch partners, the other side A and B, okay, switch partners. <clears throat> it looks from the outside, you know, from my perspective, this is like incredibly boring. However, what what you what you see in the classroom, and I've actually videoed this, <clears throat> by the third or the fourth time they've done it, they're having a ball. <laughs> they're doing it they they because they, they they know what to do. And by the third or fourth time, they're all able to do it. Some of them are still sneaking looks at the book and stuff. And they don't pre they're pretend I'm pretending to get angry. Um, of course, I'm not. And they know that I'm not. Um, and it's been forth. And some kids are much more adept at it than others. But everybody's in on the thing. And you, and by the fifth or sixth time, it's, it's like a party. And they're and you listen and they're actually doing it. And they're everyone. They're all laughing and they're all having fun. And it's like, well, hell, <laughs> this is all right. <laughs> This is this is going pretty well. Um, similarly, um, long, long time ago, and you, you know, you know where I'm talking about. Where uh, I was given these large classes of students with vastly different abilities, most of them at the lower end of the scale, and tried, you know, all the ways that. And this is 20 years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, all the things that I knew, and it's like, well, you know, I'm going to give up. I, I can't. And you said, take out a piece of paper, right? So, well, what I had them do is I put a, I would, on the blackboard, I'd write a model a dialogue. Uh, this is the, this is the model. You write your own with your own information, with the underlying things. Um, get a partner and put it together, memorize it, come up here and recite it. And then you're finished. Kids that you never would think would do anything. They, this was something that they knew how to do this is something that they were used to they actually did it they actually learned from it and then it's like i, I you know they they the last kid last pair left the classroom and i sat there flummoxed i says i don't know what just happened but it was way better than anything else i would have done so okay fine this is this is how you guys learn this is what you guys do all right well, we can do this if that's what you want and that and that's what we did and had some pretty interesting success stories uh, from that class. One of the kids, after he uh, left that school, he hitchhiked solo across the United States. Wow. Um, there was another student who hadn't said anything in any of her classes in Japanese or English. And in my class with the, uh, in the grocery shopping lesson, and I said, "Oh, Mayumi, what, what do you, what, what do you, what did you buy?" She said, "Bread." And I went back to <laughs> the teacher's room and said, "Mayumi said bread." It's like, "Wow!" Everybody went crazy. <laughs> she said her first word in my class, and it was English. So um, that was a case where they had to teach me how to teach them. And you have to leave I, somehow. In this case, it was pure dumb luck and desperation. Um, but allow for that a possibility that maybe your students in that particular class or at that particular institution need to be taught in a different way. And you have to be open to that sometimes, I guess. And that brings up the really important point that I tend to forget and try to remember, but I don't remember it enough, if that sentence makes any sense, is that a lot of the students have no experience 
learning in the way that we run our classes. Yeah. They're not experienced. They don't have the basic tools to learn in how we think a classroom should work and how people should learn. So you have to train them. I, you know, it's like the, the example I think we use a lot where, you know, you say to students, do something, they said, well, I couldn't do it. And you said, well, did you Google it? Mm. And they say, uh, no. Mm. And you just say, well, is it your immediate first reaction, response? Isn't it a reflex now to Google things? And it's not for them. If they don't know it, then the teacher's supposed to tell them. That's a lot of their background. That's a lot of their educational experience. So a big part of what we're talking about when you have these classes that are not working is to go back and, as you said, teach them in a way that they know. Teach them in the way that they've traditionally learned and build on that. So that and yeah, build by, on it, bridge it. Yep. Right, and model it and give them a clear model of what they're supposed to do because they're very good in some ways at using a model to do things. Fill in the blanks is a, a good way to start for a lot of students. You might bore the more advanced students, but it, usually in an advanced class, you're not having these kinds of problems. Correct. Because in an advanced class, if the students are bored, you just throw a topic out and say, okay, be ready in 15 minutes to talk with another group about this. And also we're looking at students who have no interest in English. Mm. After six years of English in junior high school, high school, and perhaps even at the university level, they haven't been doing so well. They come into your class with low expectations and, oh, God, or no, it's English again. So give them things that they can work with. Give them things that they can use. Give them things that will be helpful for them and also do activities that let them see their own growth so that they can see that they've made an improvement. So if they can fill out the dialogue, as you've said, create their own dialogue and then do that dialogue with another person, they can see that they've accomplished something. Right. Because think about all the times as teachers, we say we never get to see progress. It's not like being a carpenter or, or I use the mechanic, right? When you fix something on a car, you see that you fixed it. Hmm. It's obvious you achieved something. Whereas as a teacher, it takes a long time for us to see the results. Students feel the same way. They're not seeing any progress. So give them things that will allow them to see progress, I think, is a key. Mm, so, very important. Yeah. yeah so good, good. when you get these classes, again, I think the real key is simply make things shorter, make things simpler, and then start putting things together like a tink like Tinker Toys. Remember those? Yes. Erector sets, like Lego blocks. Each little activity should be a Lego block. And then so you lay down the first layer, you have your little yellow block, and then you do the yellow block again. Then you do the yellow block plus something small and just keep building. And at the end, suddenly you have your students in a five-minute conversation. And it might be recited, it might be partially memorized, but at least they're producing and they see that they're producing. And right. it works for writing, it works for listening activities, <clears throat> it works for reading as well. And I think that brings up the other thing, Tony, which is that if things aren't working, just go to a different mode, go to a different skill, even if it is a speaking class, give them something quick to read. And if you've got a projector in the room connected to, and your machine is connected to the internet, find a, something that they can just quickly read, something simple. Yeah, I think, just, I think, yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think maybe if, 
all of this, the the one thing is to have that kind of stuff in your holster. It, your requ- kit, yes. it, re- it, re- it requires all kinds of preparation and all kinds of hard work and experience and, and, and. <clears throat> but you've got to walk into that classroom with exactly those kind of things at the ready. You got to be able mm-hmm. to pull something out of your hat. Um, if your students are high enough level, riddles. Right. Throw, you know, you got a projector, just put a riddle on the board. It's like, okay, here you go. Now there they are. They're reading it and they've got to think and then, and they're forgetting that it's English. They're, 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 they they want to solve the puzzle. It's, it's like magic, right? Having a couple of those things or a few of those things ready all the time, right? Um, you know, some, a goofy, a goofy picture. It's like, okay, put the, put the picture on this. Okay. What, tell me, you know, make a story about what's happening in this picture. But to have for different levels of students, different classes that you've got, different class personalities, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But always have a number of things that you can fall back on, pull out of your hat. But it's you got to have it ready, and it requires that preparation. Mm. But exactly the, the things you're just talking about, you just got to have it ready, it, and it requires work. It requires yeah. work. And I should mention, too, you should have a bunch of games yep. available to yep, students. Yep, sure. And I don't know if we've talked about this, Tony. You know the game Buzz? No. It's a counting game where any number that contains a seven or is a multiple of seven. So, for example, 7, 17, 27, 37, 47, 57 is a buzzword. So instead of saying 17, you count 15, 16, you say buzz. And any word that's a multiple, so 14. So if you're counting, it goes, it, the students start counting in the classes, one, two, three, four, five, six, buzz, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, buzz, 15, 16, buzz. So it's a number game. And I use this once a year or maybe twice a year with students in a class. But here's the amazing thing about this game that I've noticed that regardless of what school I've taught, regardless of the level, um, even when the students make a mistake and they're out and they have to sit down, that 90% of the students are still focused on the game to see if somebody Mm -hmm. makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. Which tells me, and the reason I mention this, it tells me that if you had enough of these kinds of activities, of activities that engage the students, that they find fun and enjoyable and interesting, right? that atmosphere wouldn't occur. And I realize that that, I think, is the frustration of the classes that you know we feel that suck out our energy or we can't do anything at, what we don't know what to do. It's really not them. Unfortunately, I got to really put it this way in a certain way. It's that I just haven't found the right tools, as you put, right? You have to have the right tools before you walk into the class to be ready for that. Right. So if you find a tool that works, share it with your colleagues. So, for example, I try to tell as many. You just told me about this. Tell us about this buzz game, which is. Yeah, I tell as many people as I can that it's the only game I've ever seen where even a student who's out and sitting down and the other students are standing up and you're getting smaller groups and smaller groups to find out who's the buzz champion, even the students sitting down are still paying attention. Whereas if you do something like teacher says, which is Simon says, Mm -hmm. what's Mm -hmm. the students out there not paying attention Mm -hmm. anymore? Mm -hmm. So if you have something that's successful, that works, these like little activities that will bring students back, share them with your fellow teachers so that you guys have a list and you can... improve on it because that's the biggest thing is we just don't share those kinds of things we don't talk about that as much in the in the teacher room it would be a good activity to say that every teacher 
you know, as much as possible every week should share something that really works. Just imagine how much your repertoire would develop mm. within a semester if everybody did that. Yeah. So I'm going to leave this with, please share the things that are successful that work, those little activities, those little games that can be implemented quickly without any real preparation that work wonders in a class. Share those things. Is that a good place to end? I think so. All right. We don't want to, we don't want our, our audience to start nodding off and <laughs> check their phone, checking their phones. <laughs> All right. And so I think we've pointed out some good things, but just the recap again is change the groups, change the activities often in the class. Re repetition is not necessarily a bad thing if you're building upon the repetition. Um, make sure you're prepared. Um, an internet connection, a projector gives you unbelievable freedom. And oh, the last thing I should add that I do is I play music when students are doing their pair work and their group work. Hmm. And I found, and usually I've been playing music stuff. I ask them what genre they want and then I announce it. But now since I have Apple Music, okay, so I guess it sounds like a plug, but this will work with Spotify or any streaming service. If the students say they want J-pop and I say, okay, what band, what group, what singer, they announce the group or the singer, I can put on music they like. And that background music makes it more like a party and actually gives them a little bit of privacy and they really like it. So that's my last thing, my final say. Hmm. Okay, so I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. Two teachers talking at numerous places on the wonderful World Wide Web. And you have a good week, Tony. You too. All right. <laughs>